Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times, and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining me today, it is Tom Clark and Matt Dickinson. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm just back from a Greek beach, so uh, I'm feeling uh, well well rested for uh, for the season ahead. Good to hear. Um, I suppose I should ask you about Eze leaving QPR. How do you feel about that? Don't, don't. I'm going to oh. cry. I'll, you'll, you'll make me cry. That was, if, if anything could ruin a holiday it was yes no I, I mean look good luck to him he's uh he's as um more and more people will see i hope at crystal palace um he is a lovely lovely footballer to watch there's just something you know his movement alone is 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 a joy to watch um but it's a bm it is a it's a fascinating step up he's a sort of floating number 10 and roy hodgson's not shall we say known for indulging those too often so it's it's going to be really really interesting to see how he develops um under roy yes we look forward to that tom how are you keeping how's lincoln's transfer activity definitely not as exciting as signing (laughs) someone like Eze, and i've not been on any greek beaches i'm currently in rather cold room in the office so uh, doing oh. my bit to keep Boris Johnson happy, um, but uh, no, no, no major signings for Lincoln. But we're just uh, we'll just be grateful to get eleven players out on the pitch. But I, I must know, confess, this is what you I'm said. sorry, I'm sorry for Matt, but I'm I'm very excited about seeing Eze in the Premier League because I watched him a couple of times towards the end of last season, including against uh, West Brom when he very nearly spoiled their promotion party, and he is very very exciting Mm. so um selfishly matt i'm sorry but i'm very very pleased he's on his way to the premier league i think i think matt you and and myself we have to be resigned to losing players don't we really you know brentford i expect us to lose a couple qpr i've already lost as a say samuel do you reckon he'll stick stick around for the season well he's got into the last year of a contract so the 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 rules of football say probably not um there was an expectation that he would be first out the door i mean he's he's worth it he's not um yet um he's a very different player from Eze. obviously he's very much a sort of raw speed player but he i i'm surprised no one has taken a punt on him because say down to the last year of his contract so the the price will inevitably be you know be sensible and um yeah, he's got. He, he was probably the championships, if not best player, certainly most improved that I saw last season. So I think, um, yeah, he's he, he is worth a punt by mm. by someone. Probably more at the moment, top end of championship rather than Premier League. But yeah, he's uh, he's an, a really exciting player to watch when on form. I mean, he was almost unstoppable in in some matches. Should reflect on the breaking news just emerging from the England camp and ahead of the Nations League matches. We will be looking ahead to that on Thursday. But after all the clamour, Jack Grealish is in the England squad. He's been called up for his first uh, call up for the England senior squad. There will be no Marcus Rashford and no Harry Winks, though. Both of those have had to drop out of fixtures against Iceland and Denmark. I'll come to you first, Matt. What do you make of the news that Jack Grealish is finally in Gareth Southgate's um, squad? Yeah, and I know you know I know plenty of people in Birmingham think um, it's long, long overdue. I think Southgate's explanation, which I think is you know um, a reasonable one, has been that he sees him more as a as a wide forward than as a midfielder, and that you know wide forward is one area where England are, are pretty spoiled you know and you see Mason Greenwood come through there at, you know at, at unstoppable rate of knots so you know Grealish has you know been uh, unfortunate in some ways equally he's not helped we, as as we know he's not helped himself in others there have been questions about shall we say his um common sense at times and and Southgate is is big on you know good behaviour as as well as good players. So I think, yes, it's it's been a frustrating, but now it's in his court. You know, he's, he's got the chance to impress Southgate in training, um, maybe even off the bench. And, um, you know, it's he's got his chance. So, you know, as a as a fan, certainly it's it's something to sort of relish because he is a, a potentially a, a game-changing player, but he's still got a lot to prove at that, you know, I, I, you know the fact that big clubs aren't, falling over themselves to throw money at him says you know there is still something to prove mm. Tom just lastly on this is is it right that he's in the squad now I think it probably is I mean it's a huge relief for me personally because all of my mates on my six aside team all they do is chew my ear off about why he's never been in the England team and um, so now he's in the squad at least buys me a little bit of time which is a big relief <laughs> I personally I think he's quite a long way from the England side in terms of being an actual starter for Gareth Southgate and maybe even off the bench because I just think 
I personally think we don't know what kind of a player he is in terms of his position. I think in certain respects he's unfortunate by being in that Aston Villa team and being relied on to do basically everything. It means that perhaps as a player you can't hone certain skills and nail down the type of player that you want to be. So I think there's a long way to go for him yet, but um, I think at least, as Matt says, it gives him the chance to impress Gareth Southgate and it at least uh, silences some of the people that have uh, been banging on about him being in the England squad for a long time. So as I say, more to come on England on Thursday's pod. But we've got loads coming up as we bring you the latest on the will-he-won't-he saga that is Lionel Messi's move to Manchester City. And we'll give you the full story from the final of the Women's Champions League. But today, we're starting at Wembley. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored the decisive spot kick as Arsenal overcame Premier League champions Liverpool on penalties to secure the Community Shield after a one-all draw at an overcast Wembley. Aubameyang put the Gunners in front with a brilliant finish following a sweeping move to give Mikel Arteta's FA Cup holders the lead after just 12 minutes. But Liverpool dominated the second period and deservedly levelled when the substitute Takumi Minamino slotted his first goal since his January move from Salzburg to send the game to penalties. Rian Brewster was introduced in second half stoppage time ahead of the shootout, but it was his miss which proved costly as his spot kick clipped the bar, allowing Aubameyang to step up and seal victory for the Gunners. So, Matt, what on earth is going on at Arsenal? It's another big scalp and another trophy for them. Yeah, yeah, it is a trophy. I can't dispute that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people who goes for the, um, you know, uh, I saw, I was watching the documentary on, on Liverpool the other night and, and Gerard Houllier talking about Liverpool's five trophies in a season, which, you know, includes the community shield. I, I, I always think um, that is stretching things, mm-hmm. to say the least, that it should, it should not be on any list of trophies of a season. But, say, before Arsenal fans stop, say, stop moaning, um, they are improving. They are, Mikel Arteta, you know, there was, a, there was an element of, of, you know, very educated punt about it, but clearly going for a, someone who's, you know, been learning the ropes as an assistant, you know, there's a a lurch about um you know how he's going to fare you know i don't think anyone's doubted his character i don't think anyone's ever doubted that he's a serious student of the game i think every, obviously everyone knows he's learned from you know the one of the very best uh, in in pep guardiola but it was still always going to be interesting to see you know, when a guy has to make the big decisions day after day hour after hour how they're going to fair and you know he's shown himself to be ruthless in one sense creative in another empowering in others and I think that's that's the biggest thing he seems to be creating uh, a mentality there which is very different from what we've seen over the last few years and, and certainly under Emery and and that's that's you know a big stride in itself. Tom where do you stand on Arsenal are they the real deal or is this just going to be another false dawn for them? I think it's very difficult to not get excited as an Arsenal fan and I can fully understand why they are so excited about Arteta and the way they're playing because it it, it is a real breath of fresh air in lots of respects because they look so confused under Unai Emery for such a long time and to have a kind of cohesive tactical plan even with the players that he's got who, come on, let's be honest, you know, the squad that he's got at the minute is a long way from what he would want 
it to be. So it's understandable in that respect that they're excited. I think they are quite a long way from what we perhaps are suggesting they are, which is a top four side. I don't think they'll finish in the top four this season. Um, so it, maybe it is a false dawn uh, to say that all these trophies suggest um, suggest uh, loftier aspirations. But it, but he's clearly a very good coach, which is, I think, an absolute fundamental for a top side in modern football. You have to have someone who is good at coaching and getting the best out of lots of different players with lots of different skill sets, which is what Arsenal have got at the minute. You know, he's managed to find a system which works for people like David Luiz. He's managed to turn Kieran Tierney into a kind of left-sided centre-back. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who we're going to talk about later, is someone that he's finding use for. That is a sign of a really good modern coach. Um, but I still think they're a long way from uh, challenging for the top four. Mm. Matt, many fans, as Tom has just alluded to, are getting excited. They're starting to hope. But there is a fine line, isn't there, between hope and expectation? There is. And, you know, there's some big... Um... Yeah, big things as Tom quite rightly says to resolve yet to to become a, a top four team. And when you yeah, as as you say, when if you see if you put Liverpool, Man City, a step ahead of everyone else, you see the the, the spending at at Chelsea. Um, uh, so you know they're already you know you're you're and you're coming from eighth position. You know you're not coming from sort of uh, close back. It's it's big strides that need to be made. Um, and obviously you, you know United, we're expecting to um, keep spending heavily as well so I, I I think you know he's he's taken on a big job there's no two ways about it you can say that basically it's still the post Wenger job in in many ways and obviously there was plenty of years of sort of um um plateauing to say that to say the least in those last few years un, uh, under Arsene so it's it it is a big 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 job still but you know again Tom rightly says it, if you look at you look at just things of individual improvement of players, you look at collective shape, you look at, say, collective belief, then it's sort of tick, tick, tick. And I think, you know, the big, I guess the biggest question at the moment for for everyone is the Aubameyang question. Well, let's come on to Aubameyang then. His performance was so important to Arsenal once again. He scored twice in the FA Cup final at the same stadium this month and here at so the Community Shield, he cut inside from the left and whipped the ball into the far corner in emphatic style to open the scoring. He continued to terrorise Liverpool's defence, exposing young right-back Nico Williams, as well as converting the decisive penalty. He's netted 71 goals in 110 Arsenal appearances, and no Gunners player has scored more than his five goals at the new Wembley. When asked about Aubameyang's future, Mikhail Arteta said this, I keep saying the same thing. I try to do my job, which is to convince him that he is at the right place and the right environment here to produce moments like he's done today, and he did here just three weeks ago. I'm very positive that he's going to sign. There are a lot of things that are involved in a contract deal, and we're trying to solve them. Is Arsenal the best place for Aubameyang, Tom? Yes, in the current footballing climate, I would say so. I think in years gone by, maybe five years ago, when you had quite a lot of players from the Premier League, the best players, uh, the best teams transferring to La Liga or Serie A, then it might not have been the case. But I think at his age, if he can get the kind of financial deal that he wants, which is not easy in the current climate because clubs... Um, have admitted they don't have the um, same amount of money to spend as normal. I think being captain, probably playing in quite an exciting t- attacking team under a coach who you're fe- you feel that has you know has liberated you a little bit. You can see how well he's played under Arteta since um, since he came in. I would say yes because where where else is he going to go? It's easy to say, oh well, he could go anywhere. But then you actually look around and think, well, he's not going to go to Barcelona because they're in an absolute mess at the minute. Lots of other clubs around the world probably don't need him or are trying to be a bit cuter and a bit clever in the window than sign a 31-year-old. So I'd, I would hope that he stays because uh, he's he's been brilliant to watch under mm. Arteta and I think he will he will flourish even if he only signs a two-year deal or something like that. Matt, do you think it's important for Arsenal that they keep Aubameyang and considering what Arteta is doing and what he's trying to build there? Yeah, I think it's massive. I think it's, you know, he's um, you know, he's he's always been a quality player, but in fact we were talking having a, a discussion with someone in the um in the office the other day about the top 10 players in the Premier League and they 
I'd definitely had Aubameyang in mind and they were umming and erring and I, I think that let's just say I don't think there's any umming and erring now I think it's you know he's he's just becoming increasingly influential as one of you know the very best players in, in the league and I think you know cert- and certainly you know in, in terms of Arsenal's dependence on him it seems to, it feels like it it grows by the by the month and by the week so yeah I, I think and I think it's probably lucky for them that the as Tom said Barcelona are in this state because on the one hand it means that yeah their desperation for him might grow but on the other I think if I was a Bamiyang I'd be thinking I, I, I'd like to see a lot of things sorted out at Barcelona before I thought about jumping there. Do you think the same as that Tom? Do you think the the, the mess that Barcelona find themselves in make them less attractive to someone like Aubameyang? Yeah I think I think they actually do and I think increasingly as I say, provided he can be given the financial package that he wants, mm. Arteta's already proved that it, he can win trophies. Fine, they might be not quite the trophies that Aubameyang was aspiring to. Are Arsenal going to win the Champions League in the next two or three years of Aubameyang's career? Almost certainly not. They probably won't even win the Premier League, but they'll be competing in the right area. And I mean, there's also, I would have thought, some sort of kind of vanity level with top level strikers particularly about being the captain the poster boy of the team just scoring a shed load of goals and enjoy you know he seems to be someone who is that cliche isn't it he plays with that big massive smile on his face and he he clearly just seems very very happy in Arteta's team being that talisman you could see when he strolled up to take the penalty you know don't worry lads I've got this you know all the other players adore him and I would like to think, maybe I'm being a bit romantic, but I like to think that that count still counts for something, as long as you're getting paid 250 grand a week, of course. <laughs> that does help, I think. Yeah. So let's get let's get both of your thoughts on how high you think Arsenal can finish this season, Matt. Um, they could finish fourth, but I think you know I think they're up against it. As I say, for the, you know, the, if you do put Liverpool and Man City a cut, a cut above, as we sort of have to, really, um, I think um, you know Chelsea certainly should absolutely get better united um i you know i i think you know certainly won't get worse and should should keep improving um so you know you they've got to arsenal got to jump above what wolves tottenham and leicester um just to to get in that battle so you know i i think they can but i think uh yeah i you know i i think fifth will well, it'll certainly mark improvement, won't it? Mm. So it might be a stretch to get into the top four, so Matt says. Tom, what do you think? Can they better eighth? I think they can better eighth. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't much higher than that. And I don't mean that in any kind of shocking or insulting way. I just think that there's a lot, there's a lot of work to do. And they've signed two very exciting defenders in uh, Gabriel and they've got William Saliba, who was, was their player before, but is returning from a loan spell. And obviously, a lot of fans are getting excited about them. That is a huge ask to kind of expect two central defenders to come in and be as good as they need to be, um, in order for them to climb climb much higher. I think if they could have some kind of a cup run, if Arteta could implement some of the changes that he needs, because you're forgetting as well that you know, for all yes, they beat Manchester City and then beat Chelsea, um, and have now beaten Liverpool. They, you know, they lost to Villa at the end of last season. Lost to Brighton. They were really poor, I thought, in the North London derby. It, it, uh, in a similar way to how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United turned them around and found a very effective way of playing at certain times, I think Arteta has done that in a in a far more cultured way and in a far more uh, effective and broad way. I think there's more nuance to Arteta's uh, style, of course, but there is still something about them where they're very effective against teams that are going to come onto them and try and beat them and it'll be about those games against the mid-table sides where Arsenal for the last few years have dropped so many points that will determine where they finish so I would say that if they finish six with a cup run they should be very happy about that because this is as Matt said this is a long project for Arteta Mm. Should we talk about uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles as you mentioned Tom he had a Saturday to remember Saturday was the versatile midfielder's 23rd birthday, capped later in the evening by a call-up to the England squad for the forthcoming Nations League doubleheader against Iceland and Denmark. He played superbly on the left wing with Tierney providing support to nullify the threat of Mo Salah. 
This was a disciplined display to add to his impressive outing against Manchester City's Riyad Mahrez in the FA Cup semi-final. Eight of Arsenal's FA Cup winning sides started with Maitland-Niles among them, but he has been linked with a move to Wolves this summer. Does it surprise you, Matt, that Maitland-Niles could be leaving Arsenal? Uh, it does in the sense of, yeah, that he, as you say, you see a game like um, the Community Shield and think, yeah, why, why why, would you relinquish him? Equally, you have to remember he, how few games he was starting in the Premier League for for, for a while. It was, he's, he's one of those players that sort of, the versatility is both his strength and almost the, the sort of problem in the sense of not, being a specialist at one position, which is a great useful tool, but it also does mean that there's an endless debate about where should he play, where's he best at. He talks about himself, you know, ideally being a central midfield player, which I think Wenger had had in mind for him before. Obviously, he he moved on. He played. He spent that time at right back, and now we're talking to him about probably coming into the England squad as a left wing back. So, you know, that 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 say that range is, I would have think is is hugely useful for for Arsenal um, uh, I can see certainly why Wolves with their wing back system you know see a huge value in, in him um, Doherty's obviously moved on to Spurs um, so yeah I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised I'm, I'm surprised if he goes I guess partly it might just come down to what money they can reinvest Well Maitland-Niles has come through the England system from under 17 level Tom but now as we mentioned he's got that England call up to the senior side is it a little bit too early for him in a similar way to Jack Grealish earlier I think the difficulty is that it's great for players like this to get call ups to the squad because it's great to be in front of the England manager and show what you can do as Matt said the difficulty for him is that we don't know what his best position is Um, so from that point of view it's great to be in the England squad he's not going to be anywhere near the England starting team anytime mm. soon I wouldn't have thought and I do I, I think Matt makes a really interesting point about you know these young English footballers uh, that Arsenal have got a lot of at the moment but there are many of them around the country Mason Greenwood at Manchester United um, and if you kind of look back at someone like Jesse Lingard say who a few years ago uh, a good few years ago made his debut for Louis van Gaal um, as a wing back in a back five, I think, in the first game of their season, then got injured. He's obviously played as a central midfielder, as a number 10, as a winger, and has ended up kind of drifting out of the team because he doesn't have that role nailed down. And then with that comes, a, you know, a fall in value, a fall in appreciation. You become a bit of a, you know, bit in Lingard's case, a bit of a joke figure. So I I agree that it would be a bit of a surprise if Arsenal decided to let him go, but there would be something quite savvy, I think, in a way, if they could get a good fee from Wolves um, for a player who is a is a prospect, but without really knowing at what level he's going to eventually reach. Mm. Um, because if if the alternative is he has a few two years playing as a replacement fullback and a stand-in central midfielder in the Carabao Cup games then what's your sell on value and it sounds really you know uh, bleak and um a bit a bit a bit grim to be talking about a young player who's played so well under Arteta but I think it, it might be a, a, set, a rare bit of sensible transfer business from Arsenal to get a decent fee for him and reinvest it elsewhere um because I think you know he's it, it's good that he's in the England squad He's played very well of late, but we have no real idea as to how good he can be or whether he's an Arsenal player of the future. Matt, can you suggest how good he could go on to be? I guess you're talking in terms of versatility. You know, we've seen, I'm trying to think of a comparable players who've played so many positions. I guess Phil, Phil Neville ended up playing sort of all over the back, you know, back line and sometimes as a sort of holding midfield player. Um, Jamie Carragher ended up playing all over the place, but you know he's got you know those guys won a lot of caps for England, and Maitland Niles has still got a heck you know a, a, a long way to to go. So he's yeah he's a squad he's a Premier League squad versatility player, but you know he, end, he could end up being an England international by the end of the next ten days because you know, Kieran Trippier is there. But if, if Southgate does go for a, a wing back to the wing back system, then you know he's got a chance. 
And if he does start these games uh, over the next sort of international, uh, over this international break, does that bump up his his price tag, Matt? Well, yeah, as, and that's where you know, to Tom's point about sort of if they sell, it's sort of almost selling, selling. Yeah, you know, when there's a bit of a buzz about him, um, yeah. so that yeah, there is a there is a sort of as he says a hard, a very hard business business logic to that. Um, so. Uh, and maybe that's just what Arsenal, you know, at this time of of COVID, you know, we know that, you know, clubs are clubs are having to be, you know, by <laughs> by football standards, um, have some sort of common sense and uh, if not austerity about things. So if you can get a good resale for a, a player like that, you you can see it happening. What about Liverpool then? They were without regular starters, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jordan Henderson, but they fielded a side many would feel were capable of beating Arsenal. They started off on the front foot with Sadio Mane getting in behind on numerous occasions on the left and linking up with fullback Andy Robertson. But sloppiness crept into their game as the first half wore on. Virgil van Dijk berated Jorginho Wijnaldum and Fabinho on separate occasions for giving the ball away too easily in midfield. Jurgen Klopp had spoken bullishly in the week building up to the game of not setting out to defend their Premier League title but to attack it but Liverpool seemed under par at Wembley Tom did the game highlight a lack of depth for Liverpool I think a little bit I think I think some of these younger players that are, that they've got Curtis Jones and Nico Williams will improve as the season goes on in the same way that Trent Alexander-Arnold was given the responsibility by Jurgen Klopp um, and they will undoubtedly improve I think the the lack of depth is something that we talked about recently um, with Alisson as well. And you, you have to say, I'm not trying to wind up any Liverpool fans here, <laughs> that they were very fortunate in the number, the the lack of injuries, should we say, in the in their most important players. Um, and I think the the strange thing is, in a normal footballing world, without you know, COVID and without financial uh, restrictions and things that are on clubs, Liverpool might well have gone out and spent a fair amount of money to kick on and go again and strengthen. As it is, they might have to settle for some youngsters coming through. But I don't think that'll be all that bad a thing because I think they've got a manager good enough to coach them in a right way to get to get the victories that they need. Um, but it, it, it will be interesting, undoubtedly, as I said on a previous podcast, you know, Trent is obviously an hugely important cog in the machine. He's not quite as important as Van Dyke or um, a Mane or a Salah. But if one of those three were to get injured, then it might be a, a real struggle for Liverpool. No new faces in at the club as yet. Whilst their rivals are strengthening, Matt, should Liverpool fans be worried ahead of this new season? I, I, I don't think I don't think you can be worried. I say I think them. Um, there is, you know, you look at someone like Chelsea and you think, oh, well, you know, um, maybe everyone should be, you know, spending madly. But people have to remember that that was obviously after the transfer ban. So there's a sort of catch-up element about them. Obviously, obviously City, um, if a bloke called, called Lionel turns up at Manchester City, then um, <laughs> that's going to start its own sort of discussion, shall we say, about the state of the market and the state of an awful lot of things, um, not least, you know, who's... Who's in best place for 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 next season? But I, I think you know Liverpool. Klopp um, said when the, the the team of anything didn't happen to Anfield that you know they were operating with some restraint, and uh, that is a frustration frustration for him, I'm sure, frustration for the fans. But I think in the great scheme of things, when you've just won the league by 18 points, when you've, I think, still got more to come from you know the Naby Keita and. Some of those players that that yeah you know, that there's still comp- decent competition there. There's still obviously the Thiago um, sort of talk that's going around. Um, if if they could get him, that would be a hugely exciting move. So uh, you know, I, I think in the position that Liverpool are in, you know, uh, uh, worries are, are pretty relative at this uh, <laughs> at this stage of life. Yeah, they certainly are. Are they your favourites, Tom, to win this season's Premier League? Yeah, I think they have to be. I think the funny thing about Liverpool, we're just going back to some of the points we just made there, is that in a weird way for me, they were better when they didn't win the league the year before. I think they actually played better football. They were more exciting. And there were elements of last season's victory where they were very effective whilst being you know, less fluent at times. And um, you know, we saw that a little bit with when we came back after the restart. In some ways, they were one of the 
poorest sides, but they'd already blown everyone away and were fully deserving of the title. It'll just be about Jurgen Klopp resetting. And I think, in a weird way, it's no bad thing to kind of have a few little knocks, like losing the Community Shield. I mean, they only lost on penalties, let's be honest. Um, you know, and maybe might have a few tough draws early on in the season. That won't be a bad thing because it'll just help them to reset slightly, maybe dampen a bit of expectation um, and a bit of the pressure. But I still think they're favourites. And as Matt says, they've got a few players lurking in that squad who have more to offer um, and have, you know, and can play a part. I said before, I think that Minamino will come good this season. They might. I wouldn't be surprised if they did add one more player of, of note before the end of the season. So I think with that, Chelsea are very exciting. Yes, they've you know it's kind of like a you know video game. The amount of players they're signing in all the different positions, but with that comes a huge pressure on Frank Lampard to make that work. Um, Manchester City might well depend on what happens the rest of this summer, but even then they've got. A, I still think they've got a fair amount of work to do. So yeah, I'd, I'd make Liverpool favourites easily. And Matt. Where do you stand? Who are you picking to, to win the Premier League? Is it- uh, I, I certainly don't think there'll be 18 points in it. No, I think it's going to be you know, back to being a sort of really tight race, to be honest, between, between the two. I think, um, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think, and on a Liverpool point as well, I, I think, you know, there have been a lot of sort of chatter about whether Mo Salah, in, I think in a non COVID world, there might have been more chatter about whether he. Might might head off, but um, so yeah, Liverpool. If 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 nothing happens on that, then there are sort of you know keeping this squad together is, you know, will have its own strength. I think. Um, but no, I, I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be super tight. I, I I would like to sit on the fence and say until um, uh, yeah until we've seen who's arriving and particularly a bloke called Lionel, then um, <laughs> um, you know all all sort of all bets are off till uh, till we know about him. I think. Well, the neutrals will love it if it is a, a tight league as yours as you're predicting, Matt. Arsenal's win over Liverpool wasn't the only action at Wembley on Saturday. Prior to their clash, Chelsea women were tuna winners over Manchester City to lift the first community shield for the women's game at Wembley. A stunning long-range goal from England defender Millie Bright and a late finish by substitute Erin Cuthbert gave Chelsea the win. And what a strike it was by Bright. 25 yards out at Wembley Stadium. It simply doesn't get much better than that. Tom, did you see it? And what a tremendous goal it was if you did if you did see it. Yeah, I was watching and I must confess, oh. apologies, I'll send my kind of post-dated apologies to Millie Bright because when I saw her line up, I thought, I actually said out loud, no, come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> right. Fair enough. Uh, it was an extraordinary strike. And as I say, one of those that as a fan of any, at any club at any time, you think, surely don't hit that. Oh, okay. Yeah, brilliant. Nice one. I backed you all the way. Um, <laughs> it, was an, it was an incredible goal. Um, and uh, Chelsea were full value f- for the win. I think Manchester City, within the women's game, are doing some really interesting stuff. They've got some very exciting young players. Um, uh, but uh, Chelsea is such the dominant force. But I, it certainly wasn't the goal I was expecting to see when I watched. But um, it, was, it was definitely one worthy of the occasion, that's for sure. It is tremendous, and if you haven't seen it, it is on social media. You'll be able to spot it somewhere, I'm sure. It's well worth checking out. It was the first women's contest held since 2008 at Moss Rose in Macclesfield, which is a far cry from Wembley Stadium. Chelsea were awarded last season's WSL title on points per game, despite trailing City by a point when the season was ended due to COVID-19. But Chelsea proved they were the top side in the country and it means an incredible eighth trophy for Chelsea boss Emma Hayes. Now, I know we have spoken a lot about Hayes on this podcast, but Matt, for those that may not have heard it, just how good is she? How impressive is she? Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've certainly um, sung her praises, I'm sure, on this podcast before. Having you know, I had the luck of um, helping her do some columns for us at the, at the last Women's World Cup and, 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 and other times. And she's just one of those people that is a joy to sit down because you learn every time. She's just um, uh, well, you know, very smart, obviously, on, on the football side and just you know, coaching and tactics. But um, I always like speaking to her most about just management of people. And um, that's not just women. I mean, she has talked uh, about whether she could go into the, the men's game. And, you know, I, I really hope it happens at some stage. I think she feels like she's still got a heck of a lot to do in, in the women's game. Um, you know, chasing the Champions League obviously would be it, it would be the, the biggest thing. Um, but I think, you know, I, she's just a hugely uh, impressive person. Um, 
say because I think I've said before, I, I, and now with her, I learn as much, if not more, uh, well, certainly more than I've learned from many of the 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 you know men other men coaches, most coaches. I mean, she's just smart and mm. uh, a very shrewd um, reader of people. Do you feel that she's getting close to outgrowing Chelsea, Matt? I mean, I think you know there are still still other challenges to be done. Say, not not least the Champions League. I'm sure. I think we might get onto that. And obviously, you know, the Leon women's dominance is 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 a, the the toughest nut to crack um, in the game. I think. Um, yeah, there's also yeah there are issues of just you know London base and family base and that sort of stuff that might not be might not be easy to. To, to, to sort of for, for upheaval um, mm. so I, I, if it was I suspect Chelsea for a, for a fair bit to be honest I think she's still ambitious um, and you know the fact that you see some of the signings that they've made you know show that ambition so I, I suspect there's a there's a fair bit more to come from from Chelsea well, the action didn't stop there this weekend with the Women's Champions League, as you just mentioned there, Matt. That was the final on Sunday night in San Sebastian in Spain. Leon were 3-1 winners over Wolfsburg, meaning a fifth consecutive Champions League title for them. The victory also saw England right back Lucy Bronze win her third straight European crown with the French club, who have claimed a record seven titles. She is the first English footballer, male or female, to win three European trophies in successive seasons. Tom, does Lucy Bronze get the credit she deserves? I think in the women's game, I think she probably does. I think it's it's more about the the wider reach of the women's game as a whole that then has a knock-on effect on people like Lucy Bronze not getting the credit that they perhaps deserve within the wider footballing community, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, Phil Neville did a great job of um, praising her during the Women's World Cup and saying what a great talent she was. And if you watched any of the games recently in the Champions League, you can see what a, just such an intelligent, clever, calm footballer she is. At one point, she just you know dribbled past several players and just it looked so at ease the whole time. Um, she's very experienced. I think it's just we're at a point now for me with the women's game where it's about broadening out the reach so that players like Lucy Bronze get the credit that they deserve. You know, like you said with Millie Bright, the goal being on social media and stuff. There just needs to be more of that. And to be fair, yeah. I think you are starting to see that with the women's game. But it'd be nice in a broader context if you were, you know, popping down to see friends or in the park or whatever and you were mentioning, God, did you see that goal by Millie Bright? Did you see that dribble by Lucy Bronze? That's that's where we need to get to for, for players of her ability to get the credit they deserve. Mm. Uh, of course, there are big pockets of, of fans of the women's game. But do you think, Matt, that the success of the Women's World Cup in 2019 has sort of made us appreciate these players more? I certainly know them more. I mean, you know, thinking back to Lucy Bronze, was, was it her thunderbolt in in um, in that tournament? You know, just yes. sort of jaw-dropping jaw sort of shot, um, you know, in any match um, in the world. But it was... So I think, you know, I think knowledge, I think it was a real... Um, change i mean it was for me um in terms of my sort of you know knowledge of the women's game and following it and sort of getting to know i think the big thing is getting to know characters you know people like to follow teams and they follow clubs and and obviously you know national occasion matches but a lot of it is about sort of getting your favorite player or you know getting to understand someone like a, a lucy bronze so i think i think that that tournament you know definitely definitely sort of spread the word and made people more aware but yeah you know, I, I think that's one of the the great shames of yeah i mean among you know zillions about you know the the, the, the way sport has been interrupted by covid is that you know I, I know there's a lot of worry that you know the women's game already you know feels a sense of neglect um at the best of times and these are not the best of times and there is a lot of worry that you know you know the the, the men's premier league obviously thunders on you know with some disruption the women's game is more vulnerable and that vulnerability is is troubling 
Well, Bronze, who had previously said this would be her last game for Leon, confirmed after full time she was likely to move to the Women's Super League but would not be drawn on whether her former club Manchester City would be her next destination after her contract ends today. Her England teammates, Jodie Taylor and Alex Greenwood, both came on as substitutes for the champions, but their fourth Lionesses star, forward Nikita Paris, was absent through suspension. Now, at least three of those on show in the final look destined to appear in the new Women's Super League season that begins on Saturday. Alongside Bronze, Greenwood, the former Manchester United fullback, is set to sign for City, while Penilla Harder, it is rumoured, is joining Chelsea. How crucial, Tom, do you think it is that our top stars of England are back playing in the country for the growth of this game? It's, it's huge. I would only hope that there's uh, a, you know, a similar following to when a big star comes to the men's game. Obviously, we're talking about some of the biggest names in Europe coming to the men's Premier League. Some of the biggest stars in the women's game have, have arrived in the last few months uh, and years. Sam Kerr, one of the best strikers in the world, has joined Chelsea. Um, Sam Mewis, who's one of the most talented American players, has recently joined Manchester City. Obviously, with all these England stars coming back, it's a great opportunity. And as Matt says, the the only worry is that it kind of goes under the radar. Now, obviously, Mm. we have a responsibility and we're, you know, doing our bit now by talking about it. Uh, We have to keep um, keep them in the public eye, because as Matt says, it's about people getting a familiarity with these players. I remember watching one of the tournaments a number of years ago and seeing Jill Scott and thinking, God, she's a great player. She, you know, she was flying into challenges. She kind of was gobbling off and mouthing at the referee. And I was like, she's brilliant. You know, she, she's the kind of player that I would want in my team. And therefore I've always followed her and always cheered her on just because I just really enjoyed watching her play that first time I saw her. So it's about for young kids out there, boys and girls, watching these players and realising how brilliant they are. That's the next step we need to get to now. Um, and that is all I would hope would happen with all these star players coming. You would hope to see a bit more of you know, free-to-air TV, perhaps streaming services, just making these stars and these matches more accessible to people in what are incredibly difficult times, of course. Well, only one English side have won the Women's Champions League. That was Arsenal over 10 years ago, back in 2007. Surely if we can have another English winner, that can only be good news for the women's game. So could Emma Hayes, Matt, be the person to do it with Chelsea? Um, well, say I, you see, just see Leon's continues dominance um and it's you know it most most of these things go in cycles but you know it, it, it does come down to a lot of of money as we know i mean they're so i understand that you know their their wage bill is 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 huge by by the women's you know game standards they as we've seen nikita paris and and others have found it impossible to resist the lure so you know i think as long as there is that imbalance it's going to be hard but um yeah i think i think you know it would be is overdue, as you say. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Finally then, to the back page of the Times today, which reads, Messi goes on strike to force move. Gary Jacobs writes, well, Lionel Messi yesterday effectively went on strike at Barcelona, declining to return to the club for the coronavirus tests that marked the start of their pre-season preparations. Messi is determined to force a move to Manchester City and informed Barcelona last week that he was invoking a clause in his contract that he believes allows him to leave for free, provided he gives Barcelona notice by a certain date. Barcelona insists that date has passed and that he can only leave if a club offer a whopping 700 million euros. That's about 620 million pounds, which is the release clause in the contract. It is the transfer rumour to end all transfer rumours. But do we really think, Tom, that Messi could leave Barcelona? I, ne- I never, ever thought he would. I thought this was the kind of transfer rumour that would come round and round and it was all about a little bit of a power play between um, him and the Barcelona hierarchy. It seems like this is as close as we're ever going to come and it would be slightly tragic now if it didn't happen, I think, for a lot of people because, you know, I think there are a lot of football fans out there who think similar to me and they've always been cynical about these rumours in the past and I think now we're all starting to believe it. So it would be a great shame if it didn't happen. Um, I must confess, I am still slightly cynical uh, and do have my suspicions that there could be some kind of big grin and Barcelona shirt and this... Because, it, you know, we've talked about it before. They're in an absolute state at the minute, Barcelona, on the pitch, off the pitch. There isn't a player in the world that they could sign that would lift the spirits and change everything. But what would lift the spirits and change everything? Nearly losing your star, only for him to turn around at the last minute and say, oh, don't worry, I'm staying, all is forgiven. Um, (laughs) But that's me being ultra cynical uh, about the state of modern football. But there's just a part of me that wouldn't be surprised, unfortunately, uh, if he did decide to stay. Matt, do you have some concerns like Tom has that maybe this is there's more to it than this, that it could be a cynical ploy? It could be to do with that power struggle of the president, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, up to the last 48 hours, I think I was probably, um, like Tom, just thinking, yeah, this is all just a, a sort of power play. But, uh, yeah, I think seeing our back page um, today about him not turning up for the uh, for training or the pre-training um, Covid test really is a significant escalation, and I, I think you know the finances and the legalities are one thing, but it does seem that Messi is absolutely pushing this hard and going to keep pushing it hard. And, and it is, I mean, it's it's going to be, you know, the thought of it is 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 huge. I mean, you go to Barcelona, you know, we all know Messi is a one of yeah, possibly the best player of all time, but it's when you also go to the new camp. And you you know you see the sort of club and the the, the museum and the, do the stadium tour. You realise that the sort of he is just their crown jewel in every sense, you know, corporately and and marketing and just he was the, he is the reason more than anything else that there was a queue of about five hundred yards down the street to do the stadium tour when I turned up. And you know, so on so many levels for Barcelona, this is you know. <laughs> This is sort of catastrophic. Um, so they'll, you know, they will be falling over themselves to do everything they can. But it does seem like Messi's just not not interested in engaging. Mm. Tom, if Messi wants out, do Barcelona owe him anything? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the idea that anyone owns anything in football is so bizarre to me. I, you know, you, but you see it all the time, and I understand why the question gets asked whether it's a small club when a manager has a bit of success and he moves on. Oh, yo, you know, we gave him a chance. Yeah, well, okay, we gave you loads of titles, so it's fine. Um, Barcelona have paid him a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money over the years. They've, you know, allowed him to flourish into one, to the maybe the best player of all time. He's obviously also had a culture and a climate which has undoubtedly helped the type of player that he is. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve all the success he's had, but it's been a mutually beneficial arrangement. And now if Messi wants to end that, Barcelona need to make sure they get out of it what they feel they deserve. I I can't believe that if he does leave, it'll be for anything like 700 million euros. There'll obviously have to be some kind of compromise, but they are within their rights to demand an extraordinary transfer fee for him because he's an extraordinary player. And they will, they in particularly in the state that they're in, if they lost Lionel Messi... 
they've got a hell of a lot of players coming towards the end of their career. Luis Suarez is 34 nearly. Busquets, PK. Um, you know, they've got a hell of a re- rebuilding job to do. So I, I, they don't they don't owe him any kind of special treatment in terms of helping facilitate his move, no. Well, the article also explains how Messi raised the stakes in a dispute that has dismayed Barcelona supporters by failing to turn up at the club's training ground yesterday morning. Ronald Koeman, the club's new manager, and the players were tested before a return to training today. Messi is understood to believe that, as he expects to prevail in the legal dispute with Barcelona, he's not required to attend training. There is even concern that if he were to return, it would undermine his positions should the dispute end up in court. Now, it seems it may be a silly question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Matt. Would Ronald Koeman even want him back now after all the disruption that's been caused? Um, I think he'd have very little say if uh, mm-hmm. either way. You know, I mean, this is almost happening, you know, sort of despite a new manager turning up. I mean, he, you know, he will, I'm sure, have wanted to have these discussions. But, well, we know that it was the sort of, uh, or we certainly understand that it was pointing Suarez, you know, towards the exit that's been part of it, that Messi's seen, you know, not only is the team getting humiliated on the pitch now by Bayern Munich, but the, yeah, the team, including his allies, is being broken up, um, which has, you know, partly precipitated this this whole move. But, I, you know, Koeman, Koeman just walked into, um, yeah, just a political... A political nightmare and you know I suspect he's feeling pretty bewildered right now. Again it's perhaps another strange question to ask I'll ask you Tom could Kuman be better off without Messi and Suarez? It's, it's such a difficult one I mean he they are obviously world-class footballers and as we've said Messi is still an unbelievable talent who would do brilliant things to Barcelona but there is something fascinating about how clubs try to plan for life after the world-class player and obviously the person that we think of when you think of Lionel Messi the other player is Cristiano Ronaldo and obviously he has moved on a number of times in his career which is part of the argument as to why some people say he's better than Messi because he's produced in different leagues but obviously Mm. Manchester United after Ronaldo left I looked up before they finished second they went out in the third round of the FA Cup they won the League Cup and they went out in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Uh, when Ronaldo left Real Madrid, they had what many consider to be one of the worst seasons in their history, in recent history. They've had three, they had three managers, they finished third, uh, and they didn't win any cup competitions apart from maybe their equivalent of the Charity Shield, I think. So it, it's, it's a hell of a thing to contemplate for Barcelona and for all the hierarchy, because... It, 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 there is a certain that it's got to happen at some point, and if it's not going to be the fairy tale send off in the way that you know the Xavi's and the Iniesta's had, maybe they are better off getting off getting two hundred million or two hundred fifty million for him when they can in this slightly unsavoury way that it's happening. Because this is another thing that fascinates me, and I'd be interested in Matt's take on it. Is that to me part of Messi's aura comes in that we can purely just enjoy his football. We've never really talked about apart from the odd little drama here and there. Never really talked about personal life. I don't know that much about him. If you compare that to Ronaldo, you have the mm. sneering about his you know, posing in adverts, his Instagram. Messi's this kind of, to me, he was almost this like slightly geeky figure who was brilliant at football. And you just meant that you could just watch these Champions League games and go, my God, this guy's amazing. And I just, you know, I'd be interested to know whether Matt thinks that this not slightly sullies his reputation, but it does add a different strand as to this person, you know, throwing their toys out of the pram and, you know, demanding this and power plays and power struggles and things. It, it, it adds a different element to me than just being able to say, what a player. It's a great point. And I think, I think there's been a bit of sort of <laughs> almost willful denial of that, that, the mess, you know, the messy is different in that sense you know I think he has been massively powerful he has been you know back to Zlatan's book when he was talking about you know the way that um, Barcelona was run under Guardiola and the school swats and and the sort of politics that was going on and then when Guardiola left there was definitely a sense that Messi was getting more and more influential and obviously there's been chopping and changing of coaches and you know absolutely yeah, there's an awful lot of stories about his fingerprints being over different ones of those so I, I think we've probably allowed ourselves um, because it's such a beguiling seductive idea isn't it that he is this you know 
little guy who turns up and just does amazing things on the pitch and then goes home and you know has a cup of tea um yeah we've allowed ourselves probably to buy into that more than we should have done and now it is i think it's you know it doesn't it's just a reality check that you know he is not just an amazing footballer but he's a one-man corporation you know he is a multi multi million if not billion pound business and uh that's you know it is a a bit of a wake-up call that you know he's not uh He's not just this sort of guy, you know, tugging his forelock ever so humble. He's he's actually one of the supreme athletes in the world and, and knows his worth. When we were talking about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we, we mentioned obviously the mayhem and the hysteria that's going on at Barcelona and, and could that put him off? Tom answered that. So let me ask you, Matt, do you think Barcelona can still attract top players without the likes of Messi and Suarez there? Uh, there, yeah, there's always going to be a, a lure to Barcelona, um, the city itself, um, and then yeah, the club is, yeah, and and I think yeah, one of the, you know, what we've seen in in the last ten twenty years is the super clubs are the super clubs. You know, United have had a a hell of a sort of trauma since since Fergie left, but there's still a sense that yeah, they'll always trust that they will sort of float back to the surface. You know, with a few sort of. You know, false moves and you know years of discomfort on the way, but there's almost a feels like an inevitability about a certain you know six eight super clubs that they they are now fixed as super clubs um, and they have to do you know cat- catastrophic things wrong year after year after year to put that in in jeopardy. So I you know Barcelona has a hell of a history, but as I say, you 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 know I don't think we can underestimate just how much Messi means to the sort of self belief of that place as well as the money stream and I think you know for him to to leave willfully to go to to another club um, is just a colossal blow to them in a team way in a commercial way and just in a self-esteem way. Well, despite the posturing, Messi and his agent, who's his father, are still hopeful that Barcelona will accept that the player wants to leave and negotiate with City over a transfer fee closer to £100 million. Tom, should City take the plunge for £100 million fee plus the astronomical wages that we'd expect to go Messi's way? I mean, given they've just uh, dodged a bit of a bullet regarding financial fair play, the question of whether they should is... Um is potentially an interesting one but I'll put that to one side and say that I, I think given everything Matt's just said as well about him being he he's such a unique global brand as well as a brilliant footballer that the lure of having Lionel Messi at your club for a number of years you know he's, he's clearly a player that could play at the top level for a good few years yet um, and there's been talk about how Manchester City, because they have this City Football Group franchise, he might then go and play for a few years in New York um, in a similar way to some of the greats from down the years have gone and played in America towards the end of their career. Um, so I, I, th- I think it, they just have to take the chance. That's always been the City stance, as uh, a lot of us have understood it, that if there was ever the chance, they would like to be front of the queue, and that seems to be where they've positioned themselves it's it's obviously going to be an absurd amount of money mm. uh, involved, both in terms of wages and uh, potential transfer fee. But I think what they'd get back over time, just being able to say even that Lionel Messi played for Manchester City. I mean, you know, I've seen Manchester City play against Lincoln with some fairly average football league players in the likes of League Two, like Lionel Messi, <laughs> one of the game's all-time greats playing for Manchester City for a few seasons. You know, it, it's, it sounds incredibly cheesy, but you almost can't put a price on it in terms of what it'd mean for the club globally, never mind in terms of success, in terms of trophies. When we're talking 100 million, 100 million fee and we're talking about the astronomical wages as well, Matt, does it sort of sit well with you when we're considering the coronavirus impact of football across the board and other industries in general? Or do we sometimes have to take a back seat when it comes to football and realise that's just a different entity sometimes? Uh, you know, I, th- I, I think uh, any right-minded of us sort of think about the former while ending up at the latter, if you know what I mean. If, yes. you know, you, it, it crosses your mind that, you know, wow, uh, <laughs> the world out there is, is, is struggling. Uh, and then you just realise, look, this is, a, this is a big business, a big entertainment business, um, 
and you know i can't you know we'll wait for the next big blockbuster film there'll be a craving for the next big blockbuster film to come back and you know football is is an entertainment business in the same way that it wants you know it needs to sort of keep its own forward momentum and propulsion and you could argue that you know messy moving you know is, is as a narrative is a whole sort of fantastic storyline in itself and in terms of the finances yeah it's it's sort of as tom says it's absurd sums of money but mm. city will as you said justify i'm sure it would come as part you know it wouldn't just be like a you know two or three year playing deal it would be wrapped up in some mega global expansion plan i mean this is the sort of thing that soriano the you know the city chief exec's been sort of craving for forever you know he wants you know part of this building this sort of global clubs part of the sort of high oct- high octane school of of global turn- turning clubs into brands basically and you know he sort of wince at the phrase and hate it but it's the reality and this would be you know getting guardiola was obviously a sort of something that was carefully sort of played out and and getting messy as part of that would just be the you know, I, I imagine the sort of th- the thing of business dreams for him. So, Tom, does Messi bring instant success to City? I think a lot of people will assume that it does. Uh, I would only hope that if, as Matt said, if we, you know, if we can put aside the absurd amount of money that it's going to cost, I just hope that you know. Again, it sounds very romantic, and uh, you know, I've cl- you've clearly caught me in some a better mood than I normally am. But I just hope <laughs> that we can. I just hope that we can enjoy it for what it is, which is you know something a lot of us never thought would happen. Seeing Lionel Messi in the Premier League, um, and I would just hope that you know he's going to take a hell of a lot of kicks on the field from a lot of players. I'm sure. Let's just as fans not expect too much from him and just enjoy watching him play because. For, you know, for, I, I'm willing to admit I've not seen him play a great deal other than the odd La Liga game that I happen to have caught here and there, and in the Champions League. Mm. I mean, you know, in some ways that's a great shame. So if if we can see him on match of the day every week, I mean, that would just be brilliant, and that that could be his great success in just 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 coming to the Premier League. To me, that's that's a success in itself. So I'm sure there will be expectations on the instant Champions League glory. But um, I would hope that we can focus on the uh, the purer side of things. Mm-hmm. But should the extraordinary happen and Messi arrives in the Premier League, we may never find out the answer to one of football's greatest debates. Can Messi do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke? That is unless they draw Manchester City in the cup or even get themselves promoted whilst he's still there. But what challenges would we be most excited to see Messi take on in the Premier League, Matt? Um, what chan- I mean, yeah, just watching him. I mean, uh, watching him do. I, I, I think one interesting thing is is will be the idea that you know, and I have read somewhere someone sensible argue that he is a luxury signing for City. But I mean, obviously, you know, as luxuries go, signing the world's best ever footballer is a is a pretty good one. Um, I, I think you know the the fact that in a lot of Barcelona games now he is. Uh, walking when he's not on the ball, he's n- obviously not tracking back. Um, you know, ball retrieval that was so integral to sort of Guardiola's um, Barcelona has been less and less a feature for him in recent years. So, you know, if you're an opponent, I imagine you're not just thinking about Messi. You're actually, funnily enough, thinking about the space behind him. You're thinking about what what's he not doing um, in terms of that other work that. And that's where you would be thinking, you know, is there something we can exploit while thinking, how do we stop the world's greatest ever footballer? So it's a, uh interesting conundrum for another coach. But yeah, I think that, I think the biggest fascination, well, the biggest fascination would just be watching him play because it's been one of the treats of, of my, my career. I, I, I just a brief, you know, I, I wrote um, when having watched him do another miracle wrote line about everyone in the f- should see him play once in the flesh and ended up when my 15 year old son said you you wrote it now let's do it and took him to Barcelona and mm-hmm. saw him score in the new camp and it was you know messy messy chant was rolling off the terraces and it was one of those sort of moments that you you know that the sort of priceless precious moments of uh of parenthood I've ever had so that is the overall thing. But, yeah, beyond that, there is a fascination with just seeing how we'd fit in, how, what his work rate would be like and uh, how, how managers would counter that. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I can't. I have to say, I've, I've not witnessed him in the flesh, so I am very jealous of that. I mentioned there, Tom, about Stoke on a Tuesday night. So does it have to be Burnley or Sheffield United on a cold evening that we might have to get used to? Nothing will please me more than as soon as Messi played away at one of these teams that kind of characterise that style of play. If he just scored four goals, and we can just stop talking about that idea, now. Uh, because as you, because as Matt says, this just and you know as we've discussed, you know this is the second time we've discussed him on the pod. We probably won't be the last. It, there's just so many different elements. You know, as I said recently, it, it's been an interesting battle for Barcelona managers of recent seasons to try and work out how to not just get the best out of Messi, but how your team then works around him. You know, Pep Guardiola as a manager has finished the careers of lots of players because they didn't fit for him. He's then got a challenge to how do you how does Lionel Messi work with Raheem Sterling? Does he work with Sergio Aguero? I don't think I can't see a team in which he does. Um, uh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, where does he fit in? Is he going to have to drop further back in midfield because Messi now, as Matt says, just likes to kind of prowl and roam around that kind of number ten attacking midfield area, ready to start attacks. Um, and it, but it, equally, it will be fascinating to see, you know, how Chris Wilder sets up his team to play against Manchester City involving Messi, and uh, that will be one of the joys as well in seeing the first team that does manage to shackle him and how they do it. And yeah, that that will be fascinating as well. So there's just so much for us to enjoy that I would hope that if that first time, you know, he doesn't score the four goals in, on the cold, wet night away, <laughs> wherever it is. We don't get too bogged down in that narrative because there's there's so much more to appreciate. If if we get such a big if now, I feel so much pressure on this. If he does, <laughs> if he does eventually come to the Premier League, which I hope he does. Yeah, we can dare to dream, I think, that's for sure. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to Matt and to Tom. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for award-winning journalism on every platform. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back with you soon. Take care in the meantime. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.